keep these things in mind because there's really four admonitions, four instructions that James is giving to us in relationship to good Christian function that are really can be transferred over from the physical to the from the spiritual into the physical in that what I mean is is they're really vital signs or indicators that we can look at in our own lives to determine if we're spiritually healthy so that we're growing in a way that God wants us or would call us to in growing spiritually and maturing. And the, the idea behind that is, is if, we're, if, we're, if our vitals are in, 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 in good balance, if they're where they need to be, our spiritual vital signs, then we're going to grow and mature spiritually. So I'll wrap that up with this when we get to the end of it, and you'll see what I'm talking about as we go through it. But as we read, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 2, we'll start there, and we'll just read through the first 13 verses and then, and then go through it. But James writes, and he goes on, and he says, My brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And he goes on to explain this by giving us an example. He says, and so this isn't the only way that we can do this, but there's an example here that he's given. And we can all relate to this, I think. He says, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel... And there shall also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, verse 5, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law of Scripture, or according to the Scripture, love your you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he says, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not, commit, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder... You have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, I pray, God, that you would, that you would speak to us. Father, that we give us insight and discernment into the words that James wrote all those years ago, God, that were inspired by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that your word is true. We know that it is living and powerful and it is able, God, to reach us right where we're at today. I pray, I pray, God, that wherever we are as a church or as individuals, God, that make up this church, that you would reach into our lives and show us, God, how to grow spiritually, Lord, to be able to check our spiritual vital signs and see the areas, Lord, that need to be strengthened. 
And God, would you strengthen us according to your power and according to your might. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you read through these verses, I think one of the um, tendencies that we have is to get kind of focused on the surface things that were being talked about because each one of us probably at one point has been treated unfairly, right? With partiality. And truthfully, we've treated others in that same way. Or at least, at the very least, have, have looked at them in our heart and in our mind with, with partiality, even though we've maybe never acted on it. And the truth is, if you think about it, we've all, we've all done that, if, I think, if you were honest. But, um, and so we can look at the surface of what James talking about, the example of it, and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and really not look beyond the example and the admonishment to really um, the instructions that he's given us that, that kind of keeps us in a healthy place where we are not being spiritually immature and treating people in a way that God doesn't treat them. And, that, and bo- the bottom line is, is what we're being admonished to do here is to, is to be like Christ, to be like God, to treat others in a godly way not in, uh, uh, in, our own, in a way that, that um, we often do, in a sinful way. And, and, and so I want to start off by reading Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, because this kind of helps us shift our focus a little deeper beyond the example to really the heart and the core of what James is, is speaking to us about. And it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For when we are in union with Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor, or excuse me, neither circumcision nor the lack of it makes any difference at all. What matters is faith that works through love. And, and I read this because in this verse, Paul describes how we as Christians are to live our lives, saying that we are to have a faith that works through our love. We're to have a faith that works through our love. And in James chapter 2, what we see here in the first part and in the second part we're going to get to next week is the same thought all the way through. But in, in this chapter, love and good works are the two aspects of our faith that is being discussed. Not necessarily the, the partiality to the rich or to the poor man, but how we love people. And how that's evident, how our faith is evident by how we love those around us. And James' principal point is this. Is, his principal point is that our faith gives evidence of being alive. Our faith gives evidence of being alive, a spiritual, a spiritual uh, uh, life or an, uh, 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 a spiritual vitality. Our, our faith gives evidence of being alive by our love for people and in the works that we do. Do you see that? There's evidence of the of life of our faith or that our faith is alive by our love for people and in the works that we do, the two together. So remember, back in James chapter 1 that we've been studying through for the last few weeks, James has already pointed out this. He's pointed out to us that hearing God's word and only talking about God's word is not a substitute for doing God's word. And there are a lot of people, a lot of pastors who do a lot of talking of God's word, just to be honest, that don't do a lot of doing. And, and, and a lot of Christians as well that can do a lot of talking, 
about God's word and very little doing. And we all need to struggle with that. And so James pointed out that, that hearing God's word and only talking about God's word cannot be a substitute for doing God's word. So when we do what God's word says, it bears witness to those around us that what we it bears witness to those around us that what we say is what we really believe. And again, that may seem a little confusing, but let me say it again. When we do what God's word says, it bears witness to those who see that what we say is what we believe by our actions and not just by our words. In the same way, it's how we behave towards people, as James now makes this more specific. It's how we behave towards people that reflects and indicates what we really believe about God. And as people who claim the name of Jesus, we cannot... And here's, here's what I mean by this, or here's what James is talking about. And, 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 and as we who claim the name of Jesus, we cannot separate our human relationships apart from our fellowship with God. We cannot separate our human relationships apart from our fellowship with God. And, 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 and you might go, well, well no, duh, but, but often we do. We relate to God and have fellowship with God, and that's the end of it because we end up treating people in an ungodly way. Or in a way that God has not specifically commanded. And we know that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even when God addresses this very same issue of our, our, our human, the responsibility to our human relationship and relationship to our fellowship with God, even exampled in the Ten Commandments when he first gave the law. Because if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first of the six of the Ten Commandments deal specifically with man's relationship to God. How we fellowship and have a relationship with God. And the last four deal with man's relationship to man. And so there's this, this type of a thing that goes on in, 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 our, in our, our faith and our walk as Christians. And in 1 John chapter 4, it really affirms this in the New Testament in verses 20 through 21 by saying this. It says, if we, love, if we say we love God, but hate our brothers and sisters, then we are liars. Do you see the connection there between our fellowship with God and our relationship to others around us, they go hand in hand. And John really nails it again. He says, if we say we love God, but we hate our brothers and sisters, we're liars. For people cannot love God whom they have not seen if they do not love their brothers and sisters whom they have seen. And the, 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 the command that so he goes on to say, and he says this, John does in verse 21, the command that Christ has given us is this. All who love God must love their brother and sister also. And um, truthfully, it's a sad thing when you see a believer who doesn't get this. I've seen example and example over this, and, and people are, they get to the point, Christians can get to the point where they're justified in treating others around them in an ungodly way because they have been treated unfairly or unjustly or ungodly by others, and they get a hard heart. And, and it's this attitude of, I don't need the church, or I don't got to be around other Christians because they're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And so they isolate and they separate and they get hard-hearted because they have this, this critical spirit as a result of it, and they go, it's just you and me, God. And God, God says that's not good enough. 
That's not it. And, and if we say we love God, again, and there's not this part going on as God's love's flowing, flowing through us, we're in a bad spot. And ultimately, that's the underlying message in regards to spiritual maturity and checking our spiritual vital signs that James is directing us to through this example and calling us to love in a way that God has loved us and to love others around us. So in the first 13 verses of this chapter that we read, with the thought that our faith is proven or is evidenced by our love, okay, our faith is proven or is evidenced by our love, James points out four basic Christian teachings in light of the way that we are called to treat one another, some very specific things or specific ways. And the first point has to do with the person of Jesus. I'm going to get to that. But the first point of it has to do with the person of Jesus, specifically his deity or divine nature and way of living, which was an example for us to love with partiality. And if you look at verse 1, we're, we're, we're told this. It says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And so since our faith, guys, is proved by our love, the first thing that James points out is that our love must be without partiality. And this, and this is a very practical and very reasonable thing if we're to love like Christ is loved. And this is because Jesus, whom we follow, he did not show partiality when he was here on this earth. And if we claim to be Christians, followers of Jesus, then we must follow his example. Is that not what we're called to do? Is that not what he said to do? And this is why James starts out again by saying, my brothers, do not hold to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another way of translating this word from the Greek is with the word favoritism. That might be another way that we can look at it. Do not, do not hold to your faith in Christ Jesus by showing favoritism. And this, this warning to the early church against partiality or against favoritism must have been needed, as James points out, how one might even give a specific um, or, or give special attention to someone who was dressed finely, a rich person, and how they might then in turn neglect the badly dressed person who, who comes into the church setting or into their, their midst by wearing dirty or filthy clothes. And, and as we consider this, I think we would all agree that this admonishment is still needed in the church today. And there's many different avenues by which we show partiality. And there's some churches, some denominations who have made it, they're experts at it, let's put it that way, you know, they, they, that's their goal is how they can show partiality to those who come in through the door, and so, and so the church is still in need of this, this problem is still evident today, and, and the reason why is because it's inherently human, we, we do this naturally. We go around with these, this lens of, 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 of assessment, if you will. That's a nice way of putting it, right? We're assessing each other. Why, why do we do that? Because we're, we're judging. And, and in doing so, we're showing some form of favoritism or some form of partiality in, in a way that's not like Christ. It's present. And if we as individuals or we corporately as Living Stone, Calvary Chapel are to hold true to our Christian faith. That's what he's saying. If you're to hold true to your faith, 
We cannot show partiality simply because Jesus, whom we say we follow, who we say is our Lord, he did not show partiality. And when you read and study the gospel accounts, it's evident that Jesus was, if we just even look at this example, that Jesus was not impressed by a person's social or financial status. He wasn't. And this was due to the fact that Jesus, like God, did not look at the outward of appearance of a person. And don't think just because we don't have that supernatural ability to see into the heart of a person means that some were somehow um, get out of jail free card, if you will, and, and not doing what Christ has done. Jesus looked at the heart. And, and, and you know what? And we can have a glimpse into a person's heart as well. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But it begins with not judging on the outward, and that's where it begins. In fact, in Luke chapter 21, speaking about Jesus, we're told about a time when Jesus was in the temple. I love this story, and it gives us an example of how Jesus judged by looking at a person's heart beyond the action. And he looked up, it says, to see the rich, which we know in the, in the temple was, it was probably because they were banging the gong as they put their gifts into the treasury. Look at me, piling in their, their gifts into the treasury in the temple. But it says that he also saw, as you guys know, a poor widow woman who had come also to give her gift. And in doing so, she gave two mites, which was a little bit of money, yet because she had given sacrificially, that was the key to the story, that she had given sacrificially, it says, out of her poverty, Jesus saw her as someone who was greater than the rich Pharisee who had given a large donation because it says that they had given out of their abundance. Not sacrificially. Jesus was looking into the heart. Now, in addition to this example of not being impressed by a person's financial or outward appearance, Jesus gives us another example of not showing partiality simply by the men that he chose, his apostles, right? That he had chosen to surround himself with. And in doing so, we saw how Jesus looked and saw the potential in the lives of sinners. He saw the potential in the life of a sinner, meaning not who they were, but what they could become. And that's a key in not showing partiality in the sense that James is talking about. Seeing the potential of, of, of what a person can become in Christ Jesus, just like Jesus did with Simon Peter, that brash and unrestrained fisherman and in Peter, we know that Jesus saw a rock. Jesus saw a leader of his church. Furthermore, we know in Matthew that who was a dishonest tax collector, a thief, Jesus saw a faithful disciple who would eventually be entrusted with writing one of the gospel messages. And in Paul, the chief of all sinners, Jesus saw a devoted messenger who would preach the good news message of God's salvation by grace through faith to the Gentile people. Jesus saw what a person would become or could become. And James writes to us here about not showing partiality because we are all prone to judge a person by their past and not by their future. Or we're prone to judge a person by their outward appearance rather than taking the time, and this is how we can get to know the heart of a person, by taking the time to know them, by building a relationship with them so that we might see them and know their heart. I spend enough time with a lot of you that, you know what, when you do something and it doesn't seem right on the outside, I go, 
you know what, that's not them. I know their heart. I have a relationship with them. And I'm going to choose to be the believe the best about them because I know them in this way. And that's how we can get to know the heart of one another and the heart of others is by, by, by investing in them, by being willing to not stand off at a distance, by being willing to get involved in their lives and to show care and compassion and concern for them. To getting to know their heart. And so we who take the name of Jesus, really what we're being challenged to do in this first verse is, and in these first verses that give the example after, in the verses that follow this, this, this admonition of verse 1, the example anyway, is that we're being called to make a decision. I'm making a decision to not look at a person's physical appearance, their financial situation, their social status, or even their mental capabilities when choosing if and when we will show them God's love. That's what it boils down to. For if we do not look without partiality, James says in verse 4 that we've become nothing more. If we are unwilling to look without partialities, James says in verse 4 that we become nothing more than judges with evil thoughts. And isn't that true? We're showing partiality. We're becoming a judge who has an evil thought. We're not believing the best. Remember, even Jesus, if we think about this, even Jesus was despised and rejected because the religious leaders in his day had judged him. They had evil thoughts. They judged him by, his human, by their own human standards. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9, if you think about it in verse 58, that Jesus was a homeless dude. Right? Ever see a homeless guy and just judge him? Jesus was a homeless guy. It says Jesus in his own words in verse 58 said that he did not have a place to lay his head. What about from where a person's from? Like Penrose. <laughs> you know, it tells us about Jesus that he was from Nazareth. And Nazareth was a city that was despised by the Jews. Right? What about by those who people are willing to hang out with? Tax collectors, sinners, you know? And we're told that Jesus hung out with those who were rejected by the world. And that there was nothing. What about, what about by the way a person looks? You know, the Bible tells us about Jesus that, that um, there was nothing physically about him that would have attracted us to him. Yet, guys, in all of these things, we're told that Jesus is the very glory of God. Sadly, you see, we can often make the same mistakes as the Pharisees as being quick to judge by what we first see when someone new comes into our neighborhood, when someone new comes into our workplace, when someone new comes into our church. And in doing so, we look to judge them on what we see outwardly rather than not who they are inwardly. But it's safe to say that Jesus did not do this, and nor does he approve of it when we do it. Therefore, in order, here's where it comes down to, therefore, in order to love without partiality, to hold to our faith, we must view people, here's the key, through the eyes of Jesus. You got to view people through the eyes of Jesus. We must be willing to see people as Jesus sees them. We must be willing to place the same value on people that Jesus places on people. 
And we must be willing to lay down our prejudices and our partialities and take the risk, and to take the risk of getting to know the person that God has brought into our lives by loving them like God has loved us. In verse 5, we read on, and it says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? Now in these next set of verses, the second thing that James instructs us on in regards to how we profess a faith in Christ um, in, in, in relationship to what we're reading about here, and, and, and specifically in relationship to how we're called to treat others, James is telling us is that we are called to be or that we must be ministers of God's grace. That's what he's talking about in these verses. Let me explain. And in light of this, in light of this call to be or this, this emphasis or this focus on being the ministers of God's grace, we see that the emphasis in these three verses, really, the emphasis in the three verses that we just read is on God choosing. That's what the emphasis is on. On God choosing and on God giving what isn't deserved, which is encompassed really by God's grace. If you want to, if you want to define God's grace, it's God giving and choosing what and those who don't deserve God's choosing and God's giving. It's God's grace. And James points this out by speaking to the means of our salvation and reminds us of this, that God has chosen the poor of the world. He's not just speaking about those who are physically poor. He's specifically speaking about those who are poor in spiritual and in, 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 in moral things. And that, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this idea that we have no righteousness in our of ourselves, that we're filthy, that we're deprived, that we're, that we're in need speaking about really the, the spiritual state of mankind or the moral condition of mankind. And, and, and he's chosen us who are spiritually bankrupt, morally bankrupt, we who are poor, to be rich, it says, in faith and to be the promised heirs of his kingdom. Things, neither, that, that, things that we could not buy even if we had a little bit of wealth, spiritual or moral, before we came to Christ, which we didn't. And the point of this um, is to see God's example to us and be reminded that God has shown us His grace. That's what James is pointing us to. Is to remember that God has shown us His grace by giving us what we do not deserve. And if our salvation was on the basis of merit, then we would have nothing. If God's, if, if God's calling us and giving us this 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 kingdom of his and calling us to faith in him was somehow about our merit you know what we would have we'd have nothing that's what James is saying God's chosen you God's the one that's given it to you and the fact that God has chosen us and shown us his unmerited favor solely on the basis of the work of Jesus on the cross and not because of who we are or because of what we can do or because of anything that we have James is pointing out because saying this is a reason for us to do the same to others around us, for others around us, to be ministers of God's grace. 
And if, if we're sitting back and not loving others as God has loved us and showing and judging and having partiality in our relationships or as we look with people, you know what? We're not ministers of grace. It can't be one and the same. Because it's really an assessment of going, well, I will show that person God's love because I have made an assessment. I've judged with partiality and said they deserve it for whatever reason. Or they don't deserve it, whatever side of the coin we decide to fall on. So when we choose to show, show, show partiality, all we have done is, 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 is determined by a standard. We make a determination by a standard that we have set. We have, we have determined by a standard that we have set to look at a person who is or who a person is or what a person can do or what a person has had in, or, or has in order to determine if they are worthy of fill in the blank, our kindness, our forgiveness, our love. Yet in doing so, we've chosen to ignore God's grace for us, James says, and we fail to be ambassadors of God's grace or ambassadors who are ministers of God's grace because we're not giving to people what they do not deserve. We're only giving to those what we think that they're deserving of. And verse 7, as verse 7 points out, you know what? We're just like those who do it because those who drag you into court, who oppress you and drag you into court, they say that they blaspheme the noble name by which you come, but the, what you're called. But the ironic thing is, is was when we are the ones that are holding back our love, really not ministering in, in a way that God ministers to us in grace, then what we're doing is we're blaspheme the name by which we're called. We're the ones that are doing the blaspheming, the noble name of Jesus by which we have been called, when we're not gracious, when we only are willing to show love and kindness to those whom we, deserve, whom we deem are deserving of it. Because in that, we're not rightly exampling Jesus, who's been gracious to us, who's looked upon, looked upon us and said, I'm giving to you in spite of who you are, in spite of what you have, in spite of what you've done. And the fact of the matter is God is merciful, God is kind, God is forgiving and loving to us who do not deserve it because it's who he is. It's who he is and it's what he's called us to be. However, this is what God calls us to because this is what we have become like, the Bible says, through our faith in Jesus Christ, right? We've become a new creation in Christ Jesus through our faith and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So as we look to Galatians chapter 5, it tells us as it speaks about this that we then must walk in the Spirit, that we then must be led by the Spirit. And in doing so, it says the fruit of the Spirit will be manifested in our lives, which according to Galatians 5 verse 23, it's just a few of them, the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and the more I study this out, you know what I think, I, 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 this is my opinion, but the one that is probably the most important is self-control. 
Because that's, that's what has to, if, if the fruit of the Spirit is be manifest in my life, there has to be a control over this, this wretched man that I am that naturally wants to show partiality and see if people are deserving or undeserving of my whatever. But when they're self-controlled, then it opens the door for the love of God, the peace of God, the long-suffering nature of God, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, to flow through in the same manner by which God has exampled to us and shown us the same grace. Now, in verses 6 and 7, the example that James points to as for why we might choose to show favor for one person or another, we see that it's specifically financial, right? That's the underlying message there. But understand, James's rebuke, because it is a rebuke to the early church and to us as well, as well as an instruction or an admonition, James's rebuke is broader in the sense that he is saying to us that when we despise the poor man or when we, or, or for that matter, any other person, when we despise a person, you know, we're behaving just like the rest of the world who does not know Jesus. We're behaving just like the rest of the world who does not know any better, that don't know Jesus. But as we consider the doctrine of grace in light of having been a recipient of it, which we all have, thank and praise to God, we understand that if, we're really, if we really believe in the grace of God, this is huge, in my opinion. If we really believe in the grace of God, then we are compelled to relate to people on the basis of God's plan for us and for those around us and not on the basis of human merit or social status. In other words, looking to a person's future, looking to see who they can become, not who they are, not who they were, not what they have, but who they are in Christ Jesus and what God did to redeem them and what he has shown to them. That's the lens that we need to look at it if we truly believe in God's grace as those who have received it. And a church, guys, a church that does not adhere to this, a church that does not adhere to the grace of God and does not minister to one another or to the lost world in an unearned and unmerited way is not a church that magnifies the grace of God. So in verse 8, as we go on and see this next thing, it says, if you really fulfill the royal law of Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now, guys, this Calvary Chapel, which we identify and are affiliated with, I think it's safe to say that we proudly adhere to the teaching of God's Word, right? I think that's one of the reasons why you guys make this your church, is because you, you appreciate the Word of God being taught. And, 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 and we do so because we believe that God's Word, we put such a focus, such a priority, um, such an emphasis on the, on the teaching of the Word of God and the receiving of the Word of God, we, we, we do so because we believe that God's word is the inherent truth, right? And we look to defend this belief to anyone who would say otherwise. But 
We must, we must not forget that the way we live our life is by far the best defense of God's word being the truth, when you're willing to stand upon what God's word says and live differently than the rest of the world around us, right? When God's word says, do this, you do it, and everybody else in the world is doing this, and they look at you and go, why do you do that? And you go, because God's word is truth, and that's what it says. And then you allow the fruit of that standing in the truth of God's word to be a testimony and evidence to those around you that they're wrong and God's word is right. But we must not never forget as we see this again that, that the best defense is the way that we live. Do we adhere to God's word? I love what D.L. Moody said. D.L. Moody with the, same lot, with the same thought in mind said this. He said, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. And what he's speaking about is that we need to, we need to live by, by, by what God's word says. We need to, we need to uh, uh, allow it to guide us and direct us, and we should walk in it. And, and living out what God's word teaches us is an important aspect of our faith. However, we cannot get caught up in the study of God's word and the keeping of God's man, commands that are found in it and forget that the most important thing is love. And really, that's what James is, is focusing our attention in, in in these verses when he's talking about being a transgressor of the law and keeping the law and doing what is right. And again, it's this, this, this in doing so, he's saying you can lose sight of what the most important thing, the, 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 that, that love's the most important, that love's the most magnificent, that literally love is the most supreme, or he says here, the royal law. Because even if we could memorize, guys, every single verse in the Bible, and even if we could keep every single command that is in it and neglect the law of love, you know what? None of those other things would matter. It doesn't matter that you can go around and quote chapters and chapters and chapters of God's word if you don't love. Isn't that what the whole thing in chapter 13 of the book of Corinthians is all about? James, Paul goes on, he says, you could do this, and you could do that, and you could do this, and, 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 but if I have not love, right? Just a sounding gong, just a clanging cymbal. It means nothing. And really, that's again what, what James is, is speaking about here. And, 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 and if we neglect the law of love, none of these other things would matter. And in making this point, James in verse 8 quotes from the Old Testament, first Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and reached back into the Old Testament for one of God's laws and said that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Likewise, if we look ahead to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, where we read of the parable of the Good Samaritan, we know that Jesus spoke of loving our neighbor as ourself, and in doing so, he, he defined, right, who our neighbor was, because the guy he's talking to is like, the Lord, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said basically that our neighbor, in answer to the parable, is anyone who is in need of our help. That's what Jesus was speaking about. And simply put, the extension of whom we should love is not a matter of geography, it's a matter of opportunity. So the question is not, who is my neighbor? But the question is, to whom can I be a neighbor, right? In relationship to this command to love, or this admonition to love. To whom can I show God's love. And this command to love our neighbor is called the royal law simply because it overrules or it rules over all the other laws. And the apostle Paul clarified this in Romans chapter 13 
in verses 8 through 10 when he said this. He said, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, he gets real specific and James connects it there. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all, summed, all are summed up in this, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so love, he says, does not harm, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And the fact of the matter is, there would be no need for thousands of complex, these complex laws that, for, for, that fill our society, that Congress and and on a state and federal level are working so hard to make so many other laws every single day, we had have no need of any of them if, our, if, if, if each person in our society truly loved their neighbor as they loved themselves, right? And if we're guided by love, now here's where, it really, where I'm going to connect the dots to what James is saying, that foundation. Because if we're guided by love in all that we would do, then we would never be a transgressor of any of God's commandments, Right? That's, that's what James is saying. So understanding the significance of love, the command to love, in regards to the fulfillment of God's law and God's command is important. But in the context of not showing partiality, the main reason for why love is the royal law is because law, love is what enables us or empowers us to obey the word of God and treat all people as God has commanded us to do. Love. Now, in light of the love and its connection, in light of love and its connection to not showing partiality, it's also important to point out that showing godly love, okay, and there's a little, there can be a confusion in our society and even in our minds as, 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 as individuals. There, it's important to point out that showing godly love is different than showing a person respect. Showing godly love is different than showing a person respect. And I point that out because there can be a confusion in regards to this issue of partiality. And, and, and some think that respect might be the way to be impartial, just respecting everybody. And it can even transgress to this, to this societal thing where, where it, it, you, 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 the word comes in intolerant, right? just need to respect everybody but that's not love that's not godly love and that's where this gets real for us in relationship with James is talking about because if our focus is only on respect you know what we're at risk of breaking God's commands if we are only focused on respect we're at risk of breaking God's commands because respect often hinges on this on whether we like a person or whether we're in agreement with them, right? Because that's what someone's saying when they're asking you to respect them, really asking you just to stand off and be in an agreement with them, right, in a societal kind of way. However, Christian love does not mean that we must like a person or that we need to agree with them. This royal law of love, loving your neighbor as yourself. And who is that? It's everybody who God gives us opportunity to love. But again, 
Christian love does not mean that we must like a person or even agree with them. Rather, Christian love means that we, and, and, and let me say even this, often Christian love means you'll disagree with somebody, is what it means. And so Christian love is it means that we'll treat others, this is what it means, that we will treat others in the way that God has treated us. That's what Christian love means, treating others in a way that God has treated us in spite of our liking or agreeing with us. Now, in God loving us, was it an issue of liking or agreeing with us? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, were we doing things that God liked? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God is angry with what every day? Sinners in the Old Testament every day. And, and, and God didn't ask us to come into agreement with him, or he, God didn't ask, we didn't, God wasn't seeking to come into agreement with us. He was calling us to come into agreement with him, and that was through the demonstration of his love. So, in light of love and its connection to not showing partiality in relationship to this, we have to understand that Christian love is an act of the will. That's what we're being called to here. We have to see that it's an act of the will. It's not an emotion, whether we like somebody or we agree with somebody. It's, it's not an emotion that we try to manufacture. And the motive in regards to Christian love is always to bring glory to God. That's what James is pointing us to. Now, in verses 12 and 13, the last two verses, it says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And will we be judged? Yeah. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. And in these last two verses, James points us to mercy and this instruction for mercy in relationship to not showing partiality is connected to the understanding that our love, again, is a proof or evidence of our faith. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that when we judge one another or when we judge another person, it's usually because we think that, they are, that, that we are better than they are or that they are less than what we think that they should be, Right? But if we look through the lens of mercy, as we're instructed or commanded in these last verses, and if we show mercy, it's usually or typically because we realize that we too are in need of mercy and that we're no better than anyone else. And in light of these two verses, James compares these two attitudes and tells us that if we have been merciful towards others, then, we, then God will be merciful towards us. I mean, this is a familiar kind of thought throughout all of Scripture, right? Forgive and you shall be forgiven. You know, Jesus explained all of this in further detail, saying in Luke chapter 6, he said in verses 32 to 36, he said, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners who love, there are even sinners who love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you have hoped to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind 
to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father is also merciful to you. In other words, if we're merciful towards others or towards each other, if we're forgiving of one another, if we're kind and compassionate like God has been kind and compassionate to us, and if we are in need of mercy, and when we're in need of forgiveness, and when we're in need of kindness and compassion, Jesus said, God says, then it too will be given to you. There's a condition here, very clearly. But if we have been harsh, and if we've been judgmental, and we've not shown mercy, it says no mercy will be shown to us. And with this in mind, James, and specifically in regards to how and and what God will judge us in and by, says in verse 2 that it's in regards to our words, and in regards, or excuse me, in verse 12, in regards to our words and in regards to our deeds. These things will be judged. And then in verse 13, he tells us that even our attitude, your words, your deeds, and your attitudes. So if we think about that, what James is saying, he says, he says even if you speak it and don't act upon it, and you, know, you show unmercy in the words that you speak, you're going to be judged. He says, even if you have that attitude of inside your heart, inside your mind, and it never comes out in a word or a deed, he says it's going to be judged. That God's got all the bases covered, so to speak. And with this in mind, as we see this, in regards to speaking words of mercy and doing acts of mercy and having an attitude of mercy, we see that mercy's got to be a key aspect of our faith. And James tells us that what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Because... Judgment brings a condemnation and bondage, while mercy brings freedom and hope. And if you've experienced either of those things, you know that to be true. In other words, mercy is choosing this. Mercy is choosing to give compassion. Mercy is choosing to give kindness instead of punishment, even when justice demands it. And, and, and this... That's not, the, that's not speaking of the court systems and of the laws. I mean, obviously, there's a clear guideline for them. But individually is what we're speaking about in regards to our own faith. Because when we're sinned against, when we're offended, what do we want? We want justice. We want the right, we want to be avenged or whatever. But James says, have words of mercy. Have deeds of mercy. Have an attitude of mercy. And mercy can only be shown, think this, guys, think about this. Mercy can only be shown to a person who is guilty. To someone who has harmed us, to someone who has done an evil thing against us. And this is why Jesus asked, what good is it if we only show kindness to a person who is kind? You see, the greater demonstration of love, as we're talking about these aspects of love, The greater demonstration of love is when we choose to show mercy rather than punishment or seek retribution against a person or a persons who are deserving of it. So just like a human life is found to be alive and well so that it may grow by those four vital signs that I mentioned earlier, heart rate, breathing, or or oxygen levels, blood pressure, and body temperature, these four things, guys, love, without partiality, love without merit or condition as we 
act as God's ministers or ambassadors of grace. A life lived, number three, according to the, to the Word of God with the royal law of love as the foundation for all that we do. And lastly, mercy, with which, which triumphs over judgment. These four things also act as vital signs in our spiritual life that bear witness that our faith in Jesus is alive and well. So this evening, may we allow for these truths of God's Word. May, may we allow for them to monitor, to check, and to reveal our spiritual vitals so that we might grow spiritually and so that we too might glorify God as we hold true to our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you, God. I pray that you would give us a spiritual checkup through these words and through these um, things that James has written down. Lord, that we would look to see if we um, can be accused of allowing for these things to be evident in our lives. Lord, um, I'm even reminded of the prayer and the request that Prima had earlier. God, we want to be healthy individually, but we want to be healthy as a church, God, so that we can do the work that you called us to do. And Lord, yes, praying to you and, 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 and reading your word and studying it is so important. But God, in light of that knowledge and that relationship, Lord, it has to be done in humble submission. So I pray, God, that we would humbly submit ourselves to love each other, and to love those in this world in a way that you have loved us. God, that we would be merciful, that we would be impartial, that we would look to see what you can do in a person and through a person rather than who they are or what they were. God, may you give us your eyes, may you give us your heart, and may, may we, God, be useful in your hands. And may we grow to bring glory to your name, to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, have a good night.